This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have me. I don't know where everybody else is. We usually record at this time, but I guess people are busy. I'm just going to quickly shout out uh, JS Remote Conf. That's coming up in May. So if you're interested in an online conference, you can attend it live for free. You can get the videos. If you buy a ticket, we're going to have a bunch of extras and freebies. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, we also have a special guest today, and that's Stephen Fluin. Hello. Now, How's it going? You're the new DevRel person. You know, we've had... Um, I'm blanking on her name right now. Jules. Jules. Yes. We've had her on a bunch of times. Um, talked to a few other people on the core team, but you're the guy now, huh? That that's me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, so lots of stuff going on in Angular. But uh, before we get there, do you want to just give an introduction? Anything you want to share beyond uh, the developer relations? Sure. No. So uh, so I lead developer relations on the Angular team. Uh, really, kind of, I have two missions on the Angular team. So first is to help developers and organizations be successful with Angular, and second, it's to understand what it's like to be a Angular developer out in the real world so that we can make the right sort of platform decisions as we continue to evolve things from our side. And I, I really think that having those two goals as a starting point really informs everything we do from the conferences we speak at to uh, kind of how we spend our time uh, with GDEs, with companies working on the platform, validating technologies, exploring new ideas. Um, kind of everything we do is informed mm -hmm. by that. Awesome. So um, I'm, I'm curious, as we dive into this, I think people tend to get updates on what's going on with Angular from Angular Connect, ng-conf, you know, wh whatever other conferences people are paying attention to. I think the last one that I heard news from was ng-Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so what what is new? What's, what's coming down the pipe with uh, Angular or maybe what's been recently released? Sure, yeah, because I mean, that's actually a really great way to start the question because um, how you define new is actually different to everyone. So we find that a lot of people keep up to date with everything we do, every commit that we make into the, the repository. Uh, someone's kind of posting it on Reddit or, or making a, a big deal about it. But a lot of people uh, aren't really focused on Angular at all. They're using it as a tool, uh, and then they kind of want Angular to get out of their way. Mm -hmm. And then they just check in every six months, every two years to, to figure out what's going on. So uh, depending on how closely you're paying attention, uh, a lot of stuff is new. So kind of if, if I look back maybe in the last six months, uh, we've had a bunch of big announcements. We, we talked about how we released uh, Angular version 5, which is mm -hmm. another in this kind of series of uh, not huge updates, just kind of making the platform better, evolving it, making it easier to use, smaller uh, and faster. We uh, had a big success in terms of uh, finally getting material out of beta. 
So uh, for a long time, it was very high quality, but we, we didn't want to lock down the API yet. So we kept it in beta for, for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, uh, forever. <laughs> it, was, it was in beta for a long time. Um, and actually, it, it was really interesting talking to people because they're like, oh, I can't use Material because it's in beta. And I'm like, yeah, you can. It, it's actually a really good component library. Yeah, you'll just, you'll just get more good stuff as time goes on. Yeah, more good stuff. I mean, we did have to make uh, one big change for developers. Um, and I, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, it was a prefix change that we had to do. Um, but what we did with that change, and, and this is something we're trying to do kind of for everything we do, is build tools that automate those changes for you. Right. So when we are forced to do some sort of breaking change or create some sort of developer pain, um, is there a way that we can ship a tool that does it based on our understanding of it? Mm -hmm. We also shipped the CDK or the component dev kit from uh, the material team to kind of abstract all of the things that the material team was doing to solve problems for developers uh, in a way that you can use if you don't want the material design aesthetic which I think right. we're really excited about because there, there's a lot of hard problems in terms of building component libraries. Uh, like overlays is a really good example mm -hmm. where uh, you, you have this fundamental concern where on the developer side, I want the code of the overlay to be as tightly coupled to the component that's creating it and managing it as possible. But from a DOM perspective, you can't have that because if anything at a parent level has position absolute or a fixed width or height, uh, then your overlay is going to get cut off. It's not going to render properly. And so uh, having a standardized way of kind of managing uh, the dialogue, the overlay, plus being able to make sure that that's rendered properly in DOM is a problem that we don't want other people to have to go and solve over and over and over. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I talked to uh, um, Brad. Sorry, I, I've been out of it today. I talked to Brad and uh, about this, and I thought it was really interesting because Essentially, what you can do with a component development kit is you can, let's say, instead of using a material, you're using something like Bootstrap. You can say, make all my tables this way. And then you just have a table component that behaves by default the right way and, and things like that. So you can just have what you need and you can pull it all in. Yeah, I mean, like basically every company I'm talking to, they, for branding and for uh, kind of internal reasons, have to build their own component library. Uh-huh. And we, we totally understand that. And we know that material can't be used by everyone. And so we're like, hey, how can we, we take all of the knowledge that we have about the platform? How do we take the knowledge that we have about building good, accessible components and, and help people skip steps, right? Use our code to not have to reinvent the wheel every time. And have, uh, has this actually been, have we you started some trials of this yet? What's the response been like so far? The, the response has been huge. So from the conferences that I've been to in the, the last few months, uh, apparently every component author is getting asked, hey, are you using Material? Are you using the CDK? Uh, because this is something that now is kind of becoming a badge of, hey, I want my component authors to be using mm -hmm. the CDK because then I know that uh, they're going to be accessible. They're going to be high quality. They're going to kind of work in more browsers and more use cases. When you so, say the CDK, or sorry, when you say component authors, do you mean like third-party component authors, or are you talking about like the internal developer component authors? Uh, both. So, so both the the if you're working for a company and you're asking the kind of shared services team at your company for uh, these sorts of things, but I've also heard it from uh, a couple of the component authors that we work with, where um, even if if you ship a public component library, uh, there's there's lots of these out there like Kendo, Clarity, mm -hmm. Boot, Ng Bootstrap, all these. 
they're being asked the question of, are you CDK based, which I, I think was actually very surprising to me. So do you know, uh, which of the component authors are, or component libraries, the, the prominent third party libraries are moving to this or are already, you know, they're not already doing this. Like the CDK is too new, right? Correct. Yeah. But who, do you know who has plans right now? I, I do not know who has plans, um, but I, I would guess most of the ones that we talk to, um, but I, I don't have any names or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of great components out there. Kendo is, you know, obviously a, a great example of that. And yeah, in, in Phrygistics, I mean, there, there's literally yeah. hundreds of these, right? My there's favorite has always been Prime Faces. It was always okay. my favorite. It was just the easiest one to use right off the, the bat, but it was actually the hardest one once their component didn't quite do everything that I needed, or I needed to dig into their own customization. Well, I wouldn't say hardest, but it, it lost but some of its glamour at that point. But they've, I've really liked their library, so I hope that they um, are planning to adopt CDK as well. Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously, you don't have to use the CDK, but we want to make the CDK good enough that people want to, right? Right. In general. Right. What, what are the advantages of using the CDK then? over just building your own components from scratch? Sure. So there, there's kind of two types of things uh, in the, the CDK. So there's behaviors. So this is like an overlay or uh, a dialogue or uh, bi-directional in, uh, rendering support. Uh, and then there's a couple kind of blank components. So we, we have a data table or we have a stepper. Um, so the, the advantages for other teams is really just get all of those uh, kind of principles of well-designed components that you can just add to your your component library out of the box. So, I mean, I really think about it as delivering higher quality experiences to your users and saving time from a dev, dev point of view. That makes sense. Hmm. Um, do you have? Are there any external clients that have made significant use of the CDK already? Uh, I think it's it's uh, too new. I would say to okay. have that sort of feedback. Come. So you guys are you're still kind of in the state with the CDK of we have it where it well well you tell me the state like is it is it where you're like okay we want third parties to start using this heavily or are you not I, quite to that no no we're, we're we're absolutely there I mean the the okay. day we took material out of beta we also took the CDK out of beta um, gotcha. so that that was the point at which uh, we've already validated all these principles within material and now it's uh, I think people are starting to. Uh, add the CDK to their project. I mean, so what's challenging, I think, there and why there aren't more examples today is that uh, these things are really, really helpful when you're building a new component library. Uh, they're less helpful if you've already tried solving all these problems, right? Mm -hmm. You already have a giant code base where you've figured out how to do overlays. You have an opinion on that. You've figured out how to do bidirectional input. You figured out how to do accessibility. Um, if you've already written all that code, uh, you can move to the CDK so that we're going to kind of maintain that and keep that up to date and add new features. Um, but the, the incentives just aren't there in the same way that they would be for a new component library. Gotcha. Right. Totally makes sense. So cool. So I, th I think we were talking about some of the things that have kind of happened over the last six months. Um, some of the, the other big ones are uh, our CLI. So we launched schematics, which is a way of kind of running arbitrary code to do tree transforms. Um, and so what that actually means is that you can, we, we do this under the hood with ng-new to create a new project. We do this with ng-generate to scaffold out components and things like that. Um, and now people are using these schematics in order to do their own things. So uh, the, the Narwhal folks with their NX, uh, they're using schematics under the hood. We're, we're talking a lot to the native script folks who are going to be using NX to uh, allow you to generate things with native script. 
we're looking and talking to uh, the NGRX team so that you can kind of automatically create actions or reducers or whatever you want. So that's actually a really exciting kind of new edge where we can welcome a lot more people into the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And then schematics gets way more powerful in the future when we start adding kind of different types of schematics. And so the the first one that actually landed in uh, a CLI release just a few weeks ago is called NG Update. Have you guys heard about NG Update? I believe I have. So mm-hmm. so I'm really excited about NG Update uh, because I want one command where every developer goes to make sure that their project is up to date with kind of the Angular ecosystem of dependencies. And so uh, the version that we have today is going to update your package JSON, make sure you're using the right version mm-hmm. of RxJS, TypeScript, those sorts of things uh, that I'll say NPM maybe doesn't express that well with the peer dependencies. But the idea behind ng-update is that we can also run any uh, ng-update schematics that are available from those packages. So when you, for example, when I run ng-update, uh, RxJS could have a schematic in their package that will automatically rewrite my code to take advantage of some best practice or to take advantage of uh, some breaking change that they've needed to make. And so this is a, a world where imagine if every kind of component library, every dependency you had uh, was writing these schematics and wired into that one command where as an Angular developer, I run ng-update and then all of my third-party bits are updating themselves and updating mm-hmm. my code. Yeah, that sounds pretty convenient. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, kind of to change gears a little bit, one thing that uh, I talked to Brad about at ng-Atlanta was um, the build tools convergence. And we had Alex on last week to talk about it, but I'm curious if you want to just give kind of a, a high-level overview of that and what that means for people who are working on, um, you know, using the CLI to build their stuff. Sure, sure. So uh, I'll start with, I don't think it means a lot for them other than experiences that are going to get better over time. Uh, this isn't going to be some kind of dramatic, world-changing thing that you have to go relearn an entirely new workflow for. Uh, but the, the genesis behind uh, the kind of ABC initiative uh, all comes from the fact that the build tooling we use within Google uh, does not look like the build tooling that the open source kind of world uses. So right. uh, in the real world, we use Webpack. Uh, internal to Google, we don't use Webpack at all. Uh, out in the real world, we use uh, all these different kind of compilers. We, we rely a lot on uh, these standardized tools that are good at making us productive as developers today. but they, they start to break down at scale, right? If you have 10 million files of JavaScript uh, or let's say 100 modules in your Angular application, things start to get slower. Um, and part of that comes from the, the kind of mentality and the approach to some of these build systems. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when uh, you run a Webpack build today and, and we're talking to them and trying to see if there's ways that we can address this, uh, but Webpack has to know about the entire dependency graph of your application. So you need to know everything at one point in time and kind of uh, have all those in the same place. Whereas if we look at a build tool like the one we use within Google uh, called Bazel that's uh, been open sourced, uh, you can actually look at individual modules as individual compilation units. And then uh, when you're building the app, you don't actually need to rebuild all of the individual compilation units. You can just kind of pull the the output of those compiles in, uh, meaning that you can do things in parallel, meaning that you can do things uh, at a much more dramatic scale because the you really want the compile time to be based on the size of the change, not the size of the right. code base. And I, I think Alex talks uh, does a really good job of explaining this and talking about this. 
yeah, it, it was really interesting just to look at that and realize, hey, you know, if I didn't change much, yeah, it'll just compile that bit. And yeah. So, so I mean, how I see this kind of manifesting. So, uh, the first project that the project that's nearest to completion right now is actually being able to use this to build libraries. So, because you don't have this big uh, compilation unit, where we're really taking advantage of a lot of the Webpack capabilities today uh, mm -hmm. that don't necessarily exist in the, the kind of Bazel world yet. And so for libraries, it's a much more isolated problem. And so that's a, an easier place to say, hey, maybe Bazel can help. Um, but beyond that, I, I think for most developers, what will end up happening is uh, if at some point it makes sense to either add Bazel to the, the build process um, or, or integrate it in some way, we can kind of do that behind the scenes and developers shouldn't have to change their life cycle. They shouldn't have to kind of redo everything that they've done. Right. Yeah, I, the whole the whole thing sounds really fun just to dive into. For me, you know, fun? The build tools. Yeah, build tools are kind of interesting. Build tools animals. are fun. Yeah. If, yeah, if and you every, like everybody tools, else is like, ugh. <laughs> if you like build tools, you will love Bazel. If you don't like build tools, you continue to use the CLI and continue uh -huh. to love the CLI. Well, I'm waiting for your book, build, Fun with Build Tools. There we go. I'm actually working on, so this week as we record this, I'm working on my uh, get a job course. So if you're out there looking for a job, go to getacoderjob.com and you can you can you know you can get the course. Um, for but but after that, I'm working on an automation uh, course. So here's how you automate all of the stuff, and that's mostly build tools. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of it's uh, you know linters and things like that as well. You know, just automating all those processes so you get as much information as possible from your app as it's built and analyzed. And then automatic automatically deployed, you know. So you just make all this stuff such that you don't have to think too deeply about it. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's the, actually an area that, that I think we as the Angular team care a lot about is not just the the writing of code and testing of code, um, but also how can we go further in terms of helping you, for example, configure your server, or configure your CI. Yeah. So we're looking at how can we integrate those things in our build system, or make it uh, easier, or be opinionated about those things. Um, without, uh, as always, without taking away freedom, because if uh, there's actually a huge percent of sites now that aren't doing some kind of very common web development best practices that would make your Angular apps better. Uh, so one example of that is there's still a lot of sites that aren't doing HTTPS, mm -hmm. but even simpler things like content compression, where turning on content compression uh, from your your web front end saves you so much time. As a, as a user coming to a website, right? Because if I have to download 150 uncompressed kilobytes, that's that's so much more than downloading 60 or 70 kilobytes of compressed content. Yeah. The, well, the other thing that I see is just that um, the, the ways that things break, um, it, it frustrates people, you know, and it's usually around a deployment. Um, you know, the, the things that we catch with things like CI and static analysis and uh, linters and, you know, that just make it more uh, pleasant to code in our projects or make it so that a bug is caught or things like that. You know, all that stuff is, is stuff that pays off, but it's not always the stuff that we want to spend our time doing. A lot of times we want to, we want to be able to just write the code, right? Just build the new feature, make it all work. And so if you can make a lot of that stuff um, transparent or free, or at least, you know, somebody can sit down and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to muscle through my gag reflex for this for an hour. 
and then I'm going to get the payoff. You know, although I, I mean, I think like uh, our opinion is always, how can we get rid of that that muscle downtime? And, and make I, I agree, because like so, we we've got I talked about ng update, but we've got another command we're working on called ng add, where uh, again using schematics under the hood, the idea is that you can take an existing Angular project and add something to it. So you could, uh-huh. for example, uh, theoretically, we're we're not working on this piece yet, but uh, ng add circle ci, and then it would render right. out a circle ci config that. When I push it up to GitHub, just kind of works. Yep. That that sort of thing would be. Yes, I want that, please. <laughs> I second. Help it. us help us build it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's that kind of thing. And at least if people understand what the options are, then they can work on. Yeah, then we can work on. Okay. Um, yeah, here's your essentially deploying your uh, post build stuff. Yep. And so, yeah, so then if there's a wizard or something that people can run, yeah, that'd be great. So we've talked about build tools. We've talked about, uh, you know, all of the other uh, things that, you know, anyway, my, my hey, brain uh, totally blanked. Go ahead, one Joe. of the things I was hoping to hear about was the new 1.7 uh, CLI. I, maybe that isn't your uh, particular, but I know 1.7 of the CLI just came out. Maybe this is a little bit too particular for the topic of the show, but I was kind of interested in that and what's in there if you happen to know sure i mean the biggest change from my perspective is actually the introduction of this ng update command okay yeah because i actually went through the change notes and i was like i'm not even i'm not sure that i'm seeing maybe it's just because i didn't understand every you know they were very 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 short comments but i wasn't even seeing the justification for another minor you know version in there like so that was yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a very, very small release, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's kind of in preparation for uh, the next major release of CLI. We, the idea is we wanted to get out uh, this ng update command now so that when people want to move to the next major, this can help kind of bridge that gap. Right. Right. Cool. Um, another interesting feature that I, I have heard talked about a lot and I don't know, I don't think schematics, maybe schematics is this, or maybe some of the other stuff that we talked about is this, but um, with some other front-end frameworks, uh, they have a process when, hey, a, a new version of the framework comes out, you, ha- they have um, uh, the, what's the the tools that actually look at the source code trees? The code AST, AST code parsers, sure. Yeah, AST parsers to help you do those updates and stuff. Um we haven't you haven't specifically mentioned that yet in this issue or this episode, right? So, uh, is that something that's on the radar? Is that seen as a high priority? Certainly, all of my updates when I've updated, even from like two to the latest version of five, I've never had seen problems. But I'm also not running a million lines of code either. No, that that's that's what ng update does. Um, and I, I think I did maybe talk about it before. Oh, you joined. Did I, we did talk about uh, ng update. Uh, mm-hmm. I was curious. Though, do, maybe we didn't talk about it under the hood. Then, it, is it actually using code mods or is it using pattern recognition? So schematics is doing AST parsing. Um, uh-huh. So we we actually do this for like ng generate. Mm-hmm. So if you generate a new component, we you can either specify which module you want to add it to manually as a flag. Uh, but if you don't, we're going to actually look uh, and do a search of the application starting in the current directory for the nearest module and then add that as an import to the nearest module, and a, or excuse me, a declaration from the nearest module. So, right. so this is an example of where we're, we're not doing regular expressions here. Where this is all AST parsing, and uh, we've given you a couple methods to help with that in schematics. 
All right, cool. I, I apologize. I sound like I sound like I'm not drawing the dots together, and I kind of wasn't. <laughs> well, that what I find but is I a lot of times, s- if you're not drawing the dots together, somebody who's listening isn't either. So, right, right. So, uh, and that that is actually something that you know I, I I think this is the kind of thing that matters a lot to people when they hear about stuff, and it matters to the companies that are doing a million lines of code. I'm the ma- amount of manual update it takes to make a version change, even a major version change, has always been tiny. So I've really appreciated that about Angular. Um, no, I absolutely. And it matters more. So, so I'll, I'll repeat some of the things I, I said a little bit before, and then you can decide which version you want to keep in. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> editing it. Uh, so what's really magical about ng update uh, is not only is it going to update your package JSON with the knowledge of the dependencies of Angular that you're supposed to be having, so whether that's ZoneJS, RxJS, TypeScript, those sorts of things that currently you manage with uh, a package JSON and peer dependencies, which doesn't work that well. But we can also, from each Angular package, run a schematic. So, for example, um, if, if, for example, HTTP client needs to update its API, HTTP client can actually include a schematic for its update so that it knows how to update your code based on its own changes. And we've gone even further than that, then this doesn't just apply to your uh, kind of packages coming from the Angular team. This applies to third-party packages as well. So uh, with the RxJS uh, version 6, our hope is that we will have a schematic in there that when you run ng-update, it will actually do things to make you follow best practices. And the, the best example of that is moving to these pipeable or lettable operators where we've wanted to get rid of the side effects of import uh, rxjs slash add slash operator slash switch map where that's actually modifying a prototype and it has side effects that are very hard to manage and control. The, the better way to do it now is to import switch map from rxjs slash operators. Uh, and that's a relatively mechanical change. So we've actually written the the schematics that or the, the TSLint fixes basically under the hood that will do this for you as part of that ng update. And so this this is kind of the magic that uh, of a world that I see in the future where uh, maybe a year from now, when your component library updates, you just run ng update, you get the latest version, and it's going to update your code to automatically account for any changes to behaviors that it's it's needed to do whenever possible, right? So there, there's a, a huge amount that we can automate and when you can't, we can still do things like add to-dos or add uh, comments and notes and warnings and things like that. Cool. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities, and online at angularbootcamp.com. So one other thing that uh, I keep talking to people about and hearing about is all, all the angst and panic over the sunsetting of AngularJS. Hey, before we move on to that, can I ask one more follow-up question? Go ahead. Um, I think there's an interesting example or or a question about these uh, ng update, and that is when it comes to things that aren't core to Angular. So, as an example, RxJS recently made a fairly reasonable, significant change where they created these lettable operators. Right, that's a significantly different style of programming 
uh, within what RxJS does, right? You just how those operators work. So is ng update going to handle, or does it already handle those sorts of situations as well? And then, and then, at what point do you draw a line on third party? I mean, RxJS is technically third party, right? So at mm-hmm. what point do you draw a line about third party code? So. Yes, it, it's this is totally intended to handle those sorts of changes. I mean, that that's the, a use case that we're explicitly looking at as, hey, how can we help people adopt the, the best practices there mm-hmm. um, so that it's safer to remove at some point in the future the, the cold, old, uh, worst way of doing it. But uh, where in terms of where we draw the line for third parties, uh, I would almost say that we don't. So we let other people draw those lines because because... Uh, we, we have this package JSON, we, we can look in the node modules file, we can look for references to, hey, here's a schematic for updating this package. You could theoretically use ng-update to update any package. So let's say I'm depending on moment. Uh, they could theoretically, and, and this is kind of a where we hope to go, uh, obviously ng-update doesn't uh, have this fully kind of baked out yet, but if moment wants to, in their package JSON, refer to here's how to update me using schematics, they could do that. Mm. Cool. Cool. Um, did I, did you state who actually owns ng update? Is that owned by the Angular team? So we own, yeah, we own the kind of the CLI infrastructure dev kit side of that. Um, but under the hood, it's all schematics owned by the individual packages. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to update, like moment, for example, they, they can do their own stuff, but like keeping building ng update itself and the schematics. That's that's actually just part of the schema- whole schematics. Uh, that's just part of the CLI team. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think React has something like that. Well, they at least push not just updates to React the package or the library itself, but they also push uh, upgrade packages that, that will upgrade your React code. Now, I don't know if it does it across the entire infrastructure like you're talking about, but I know that at least for that one package, um, if, if there are changes to the React library, it'll update those as well. So you can Interesting. I've, I've not heard about that. Yeah, we just started a React podcast, and they were talking about how nice that was, and I was like, I was like oh, that's interesting. So yeah, anyway. Um, so yeah, so I, I did ask about AngularJS or Angular 1 for the, the people who aren't f- as familiar with the... Terminology, um, but yeah, Angular JS. Um, it's just going to get security updates after July, is what I'm hearing. That that is the plan. So security and, and bug fix updates. So um, we've actually done a ton of of talking to developers and a ton of studies in terms of what people are using. Uh, what we're seeing is that most Angular JS applications aren't updating to the latest versions anyway. Uh, and so what this means for the kind of the majority of developers is that. Uh, all of the AngularJS apps that you write or uh, are kind of starting to write today, they're going to keep working and, and kind of we're, we're guaranteeing that they're going to work if uh, and be defended from any sort of security problems mm-hmm. or any kind of major browser changes. So like we don't anticipate any of these things, uh, but we wanted to give people a, a level of safety and security and saying, hey, uh, we're, we're going to give this window where any sort of those kind of major security or critical bug fixes, uh, we're going to take care of them. That makes sense. And I right, so go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you go. Well, my my thinking is just it it's nice to know, hey, if I'm still on the Angular one infrastructure that I get support. But at the same right. time, if I'm on the you know, the newer versions, Angular five, Angular four, whatever, 
um, that, you know, you're, you're getting to the point where you want to focus much more, I guess, on the newer stuff where yeah, I mean, a, a lot awesome. more people are inno- innovating and need more help, I think. I, I, I want to provide a counterpoint to that. I never felt like it was that big of a deal, to be honest. Angular One has been so solid for so long. What support do you need? Like, nobody's calling up Google and saying, hey, I can't get this thing to work. Will you help me out, Stephen? Right? I mean, right? It's, it's funny. The questions that we do hear are things like, change detection is too slow. Or, <laughs> uh, I want to use TypeScript with it. Or, um, right. hey, uh, how do I encapsulate these things better? And it's like, every question that we get like that, or almost every question we get like that, the, the answer isn't, here's how to do that in AngularJS. The answer is, hey, we made this completely better in Angular. Right. Yeah, and so I get the idea of, hey, it's nice to know that if some critical security bug or flaw either came out or a new browser released with it, and AngularJS needed an update to counteract that either discovered flaw or newly introduced flaw, whatever it was, that it's nice to know that the Angular team, or, well, sorry, somebody behind Google, right, the AngularJS team, is going to be on top of fixing that. Although, with the state that the AngularJS is in, if if something like that happened, if uh, a critical bug came out and the, it was just a community-driven product, it would still have an update or a fix, you know, toot sweet. The community is big enough that it's not going to let something like that go on for long. So I never, as much as I'm happy to see, a, it was a three-year, right? Three-year LTS for AngularJS. Yep. I just, I don't see that even the new features that have been put in in 1.6 and 1.7 were super critical. There's some secu- important security stuff, but nothing, since one since uh, the components 1.5 for me, that was where AngularJS hit its sweet spot. Uh, from a developer experience, and everything since then has made uh, little to no difference to me as an AngularJS developer. So yeah, I'm not really a big... C- completely agree. I mean, that, that's why when we talk about it, um, or some of the words we used were, AngularJS is stable. We're going to stop breaking right. you. Um, right. And I mean, the, the reaction that I've heard from developers is kind of, that's nice. Right. <laughs> it, it's been <laughs> almost a non-reaction. Right. So um, I want to ask you a question. Related to AngularJS, which is, I assume you have heard of Copilot. Uh, yes. Uh, Angular Copilot from the Angular Docs folks? Uh, I'm not sure who it's from. If, it, if that's who it's from, then yes. This is the uh, AngularJS upgrade, automatic sort of an upgrade yes. type. Oh, yeah. We, we've spoken a, a bunch with that team. Cool. So is there anything interesting to say about that? Uh, I would encourage people that are still having an AngularJS project to check it out. Um, it is a paid tool from uh, kind of an independent team where their intent uh, is really to help people migrate. So what, what ended up happening there, a little bit about their story, is that they got really good at analyzing uh, semantically AngularJS applications. Uh, and so they, they could actually understand what the AngularJS application was trying to do. And then they did the same thing for Angular. And they're like, wait a minute. Uh, a lot of these these uh, concepts are the same, and we can draw a mapping between them, and we can help developers uh, take on this challenge. So uh, we we talked a ton to that team about the ideas that they're doing and, and kind of how it works. Uh, have not heard a ton of community feedback. So if if people like it, if they don't like it, we we would love to hear that um, so that we could either spend more time or less time talking about it. Uh, that was mostly what I wanted to hear was just your opinion and input and kind of uh, an official view 
on Copilot. I love the idea. If someone could build a button that I press to update all of my AngularJS apps, yeah. they would probably make a lot of money. <laughs> I, I would like like a, to ask you a little bit of a follow-up question. I, I don't know if you've seen much of the result of it, but do you feel like it uh, is like step one of 15 in an update or is it step one of four in an update? Like how does it, or really even more important is, does it cause your Angular code to be so weird and crunky that yes, it is technically now Angular, but uh, you would quickly want to go and make a bunch of changes to it? I mean, I, I think most code that was written for AngularJS, uh, I mean, just based on, on my experience, having worked a lot with that, uh, you probably want to rewrite it anyway, just because, I don't know, every six months, we, we look back at our own code and say, what was that, what was that person thinking? Right. And, and uh, fashion changes, too. But I mean, uh, in terms of whether it's step one or one through five, um, how I like to think about this, and, and obviously, I... We, we don't have a huge amount of community validation of this, so I, I'd love to, to hear what people think. Uh, but I like to think of it more as the framework, a guided framework in which it's going to walk you through the 10 steps or the 20 steps that you're going to go and take. And so instead of saying, here, I did the first step, now you do everything else, it should say, hey, I did step one, here's step, uh, now go do X, Y, and Z to each of your components. Uh, and then here's step two. Now we need to migrate the services. I, I moved all the files. I renamed them. I put wrappers around them. Now go fix the the scope references, like that that sort of thing. And I think that's almost ultimately more useful to to people than uh, just Frankensteining their code uh, into a new uh, structure. But walking them through how can I do an incremental migration from AngularJS to Angular. Cool. All right. What's next? Have we covered all the topics? Never. <laughs> uh, are we up to date now with where Angular is at the last six months of Angular? Uh, I had two more things. I, I do have one other question. One one question that I probably would should save for last. So I definitely have one more question to ask. Okay, and I, I know I've, I'm going probably too slow for this. We're oh, talking you're too fine. much about the past, but. No, not at all. Well, we asked for it, so. <laughs> uh, so two other things that have been happening recently in the, the kind of Angular ecosystem uh, is we just moved all of our content, uh, all of our docs examples over to a site called StackBlitz. Uh, and I'm personally a really big fan of StackBlitz uh, because basically they've abstracted away all of the node NPM set up your dev tools challenges that a lot of developers have where on StackBlitz, I can, in a single click, be up and running with an Angular application. Or uh, in a single URL, I can load up uh, Angular CLI project from GitHub and be seeing it locally on my machine, running with all the dependencies installed, everything working, and then I can make changes, I can tweak it, I can see how it goes. I mean, StackBlitz is very mind-blowing the first time you see it. Uh, and then I, I think one of the things in their roadmap is actually to be able to commit back to GitHub. And I, I love the idea of this because I think it's a huge equalizer of how we could bring kind of more developers uh, into being effective in maybe not writing Angular code, but interacting with Angular code uh, if they don't have to do any of the setup or, or tooling side of it. Yeah, we did an episode with the guys behind StackBlitz, both on this show and JavaScript Jabber. So awesome. if, if you want more deep details on how it all works, go check that out. But I, I think it's interesting that, yeah, we keep finding better ways to remove barriers for people to come in and actually see how this all hangs together. I mean, I, I've joked about uh, an ng.exe, 
So imagine a single binary where we bundled Node, NPM, uh, and our CLI so that without having to install any of those things, you could just run uh, ng.exe. It would either create a new project or uh, update a project, those sorts of things. Uh, I'm really excited about its possibilities for learning Angular. Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, definitely. It's obvious. Like, it's it was put into the docs, right? So super, super natural choice there. But just think of all the possibilities there will be for people who want to learn Angular to remove all the extra fluff that is the problem. You know, yeah. what was so great about AngularJS is it was one script tag and all of a sudden there's magic. Yes. <laughs> Crazy amounts of magic. And, and, and Stackblitz kind of brings a lot of that back, yeah. which is yeah, what I, I think we're excited about. And, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's features that, I mean, a lot of people are trying to build really cool tooling. Uh, one of the coolest tools I've, I've talked to someone about, I forget the name, but they they do something a little bit similar to Stackblitz, but they have uh, instructor tools so that when you run a, a room full of people through uh, a workshop or something like that, you can actually monitor their progress. Really? Yeah. So I, I'm just amazed at how, what our ecosystem is doing to to help yeah. developers get onboarded. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the tool that I heard of that's kind of like that, but I I won't recall it before the show's over. But but yeah, no worries. I, I, it's just fascinating stuff, and I think I think if we could solve uh, video chat, then life would be better for everybody. Absolutely. So was that just one thing, or was that your two things? No, the other thing was uh, so we've been spending a lot of time talking to the native script folks. Uh, because uh, a lot of companies are asking, hey, how can I put Angular applications onto mobile devices? And there's a bunch of great options for that. So obviously, PWAs are a, a very exciting technology uh, in terms of the way that they can build uh, more uh, engaging experiences. So with offline via the web, with push notifications, uh, with faster performance, those those sorts of things. But often we'll we'll see companies that want an installed App Store experience. And so there, there's things like Cordova, uh, which is used by platforms like Ionic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also things like NativeScript, where the, the NativeScript folks have written basically their own version of HTML or, or this NativeScript, where you can have the exact same Angular code, but then instead of writing HTML, you write NativeScript. And then instead of rendering to HTML and to the browser, we render to native UI widgets. And so uh, that's actually been an exciting technology that's been around for uh, a couple of years now, I think, at this point. Uh, and we're working with them to say, hey, how can we make uh, NativeScript more integrated with Angular so that it's it's easier to, for example, add NativeScript to an existing project? Or how can we integrate it into our, our tooling so that you can build these things more easily, um, whether you're, you're rendering out to a browser or rendering out to a installed mobile package? That's really interesting. And, you know, I've, I've looked at NativeScript, I've looked at React Native, I've looked at Ionic. Um, and yeah, depending on where you want to go with what you're doing, I mean, it's, it's really compelling to be able to see, oh, look, we have a different, basically compile target and it's mobile instead of web. It it fits very well with how Angular is architected. Yeah, exactly. And so your, uh, you know, your template instead of being HTML is, you know, whatever their XML like markup is. And there's just a ton of power to that. And in some ways, then people, you're able to provide people with the experience they expect because all of those uh, widgets, buttons, lists, et cetera, they're all native stuff. They all work just like you would expect on your Android or uh, iOS device where something like Ionic, it's it's all web rendered. And so 
you know, sometimes it's just not exactly the same. And then just yep. delegating all that work across the JavaScript bridge. So JavaScript, J- it's JavaScript core or V8. And then just having it handled by your uh, Angular component. I mean, that that's really, really convenient. Absolutely. And I mean, there are pros and cons to both in terms of performance, in terms of code sharing. Right. Whatnot, but I, I'm really glad we have a, a rich ecosystem with, with a couple of really good choices for developers. Yep. So what do you have to do in order to support them? I mean, it, it seems like for the most part, there's not a ton that you'd have to do. So do you just allow them to plug in a different templating engine and that's it? Or is there more to it that, to what so you've done? So we're, we're working with them in a, a couple of ways. So we're working with them to uh, kind of advocate for Angular developers. So how do we uh-huh. get more code sharing with uh, HTML, things like that? Uh, also looking at the tooling story. So historically, you would have to use their CLI in order to run and build native script projects. And we'd like it to be able to kind of all run through the Angular CLI. And so um, schematics is a big piece of that. And then, I mean, there's even kind of crazier ideas where if if we're able to bring this ng-add vision uh, to fruition where you can add things to your project, uh, imagine an ng-add command or ng-add native script command that then goes and takes your existing Angular application uh, and gives you a dot... uh, dot ns uh template for each of your components and sets up the build system for you that would be slick that would be really slick <laughs> I, I, I won't lie i love the idea awesome yeah no it, as soon as uh we or they have something to for people to try out I, i'm really excited to to get that sort of thing into people's hands very nice i i won't make any promises about that but it is something that we're working towards well i heard it was going to be really Perfect. awesome that's what you said right that's what I said. Money back guarantee. <laughs> All right, Joe, what was the thing that you wanted to bring up? Oh, now I got to remember what it was. Uh, you sounded yeah. really excited. So I was I, really excited I'm about sure it. I'm kind of forgotten. And now I've actually forgotten what it was. Dang it. Well, uh, ng-update, ng-add, elements, webpack 4, <laughs> Bazel, library support, so, Ivy. Oh, are you going to announce anything new at ng-conf? Who knows? <laughs> I can't tell you now if we're going to announce at ng-conf. That would be... I, I wasn't asking what you're not, just if you're going to announce anything. I, I think there are cool new things that are happening in Angular all the time, and we're excited to be at ng-conf to talk about them. Are Mishko and Igor going to come dressed up as Parzival? Oh, I, I hadn't even considered that idea. Uh, is, isn't he just a generic avatar? He starts out that way. So I, I don't know what a generic JavaScript avatar would look like. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, that was all my questions. So that was my last one. Awesome. Well, if people so, want to follow what's going on with the Angular team, is is there a good place to keep up on this? Let's say they're sure, like, absolutely. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling enlightened. I kind of know what's going on. Yeah. How do they stay in touch? So uh, the best way to follow us would be probably blog.angular.io which is where we try and put out kind of the news and what's happening and the perspectives coming from the team and from the community. Uh, but then obviously, if you're looking for just information about one of these topics, uh, Angular.io or documentation site uh, is a fantastic place to start. And then, I mean, in terms of kind of the broader community, this is something we care a lot about. And so there's something like over 800 different meetups across the world. So I definitely recommend you take a look at one of your meetups, take a look at uh, participating in one of our, our repositories on GitHub, sending a PR, filing an issue, uh, or joining a community like one of our uh, Gitter communities. Awesome. Awesome. 
All right. And if people want to follow you specifically, are you on Twitter and stuff? I am on Twitter and stuff. You can follow me at Stephen Fluin, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-F-L-U-I-N. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Joe, do you have some picks for us? Oh, I'm first. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I do have picks. I've been doing a lot of... I've got, gotten back into Dungeons & Dragons recently, the last Ooh, year or two. Fun. I did a lot when I was a kid and didn't do it any forever. And then um, I had kids that started getting old enough. And strangely enough, my wife, we tried playing Dungeons & Dragons and she had a good time. And so I've gotten more and more into Dungeons & Dragons lately. One of the things that I have discovered is this really great product uh, put out called Pathfinder Plot Twists. So if you happen to play Dungeons & Dragons or just about any other fantasy, at least fantasy-based role-playing game, although it could probably work for even a non-fantasy-based role-playing game, mm-hmm. um, they're a great product and it allows you to have a way for your characters, to the players in your game, to have cards uh, that they hold on to and can use in the game to kind of change how things work. And so it's just it was a really fun idea. And you, it won't make a lot of sense to people who don't play Dungeons & Dragons, but it makes a lot of sense to people who do. If you do play, give it a try. Super awesome. So, um, that, and then I want to pick a classic that I have picked many, many, many times before, which is the TV show Arrested Development. Continues to be my favorite TV show many, 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 many years after it was put out. I still think it's the funniest thing that ever, that's ever been put on TV. And there I go. Those are my picks. Awesome. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Uh, my first pick is a board game. Um, it is called Hogwarts Battles. It's a Harry Potter game. Um, now, if you're not into Harry Potter, don't let that you turn that turn you off. Um, it's a collaborative um, deck building game, and it is a ton of fun. Um, my wife and I went on a trip this last weekend uh, for her birthday, and we went with uh, her dad and her sister. Um, and brother-in-law and we just we just had a good time um you know we we wandered through some houses um because we went on basically you get to walk through brand new homes and see what they've been uh building into them down in the saint george utah area and then we'd come back and we'd pay, play like six hours of this game <laughs> it was just a ton of fun so uh yeah excited about that we we really really enjoyed it and um the other pick i have is um my get a coder job course if you are out there thinking you want to look for a job or you want to prep for looking for a job, because it, it kind of just walks you through what kind of a job do I want? What do I like about my current job? What don't I like about my current job? So that you can make good decisions going forward about where you want to wind up. Um, 
And then it talks, it teaches you how to research companies and stuff so that you can find the company that matches up with what you want. Um, so anyway, um, so if you're thinking about looking for a job, I mean, this may, this may just encourage you to go ask for a raise, or it may encourage you to actually go do the research and apply for companies that you really want to work at. Um, cause the ultimate goal is to help you wind up in a job that you're really happy with. And that may be the one you have, but you know, it, it is most of the contents for people who aren't in the job that they think they want to end up in. So anyway, um, getacoderjob.com is where you can sign up for that. Uh, Steven, what are your picks? So my first pick would be a series of video tutorials or video walkthroughs that I've been working on called Demos with Angular on YouTube. So I've done a few things like getting started with Cordova, getting started with StackBlitz, uh, how to do a little bit of RxJS or the minimum you need to, to be effective in Angular. So uh, I've been spending a lot of time trying to create some of that video content to walk through uh, really just breaking down Angular and showing how simple it can be. My second pick would be uh, really helping people to understand and visualize some of the things that are happening with some of the reactive programming and RxJS that we've got. And so there's a, a couple of sites, rxmarbles.com and rxviz.com, that uh, both can help you visualize using these marble diagrams how uh, reactive data can flow and can kind of help you better understand the, the different operators that are available and when and where you might use them. Cool. Well, thank you for coming and sharing with us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we love just getting the updates from the Angular team. And uh, yeah, thank everybody there for all of their work. And we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everyone next week. Laters, everybody. See you soon. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.